0: You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLevel.com. Get a chance to get into God's Word this morning uh, together. I want you to turn to Joshua on your way to Judges this morning. We're going to start in Joshua chapter 1. So, uh, yes, I remember we were in Joshua a couple of years ago or a year or two. And we're not starting Joshua again, but this is a great place to start for today. So Joshua 1, if you would turn to verse 5 as we get to God's Word. And on your way there, I've got one photo from last week. Kalen is not here, is he, Jeff? Wherever Jeff is? No. (laughs) Of course, he's not here. Tell him his picture was here. Kalen drew this. Um, Along with Malachi, I got some last week. But um, here's Kalen's picture, where we were last week in Judges 17, which today we're kind of just on a continuation of and uh there's micah telling his mother i found i I found your silver i i took it here you go uh you know oh thank you mom says uh i want a card image though okay and then they worship this image and micah's just glad he's got the images and at the end he's got he's got himself a priest a real levitical priest so surely he's going to prosper uh Anyway, Kalen drew that. Tell him thank you. Thank you, kids, for what you draw. What comes to mind, there will be other things along the way in our last part of Judges. But if you're in Joshua, hopefully that's where you are. Let's read Joshua 1. We're going to read 5 through 9 and then get to our text for today. Here's God's word in Joshua 1, verse 5. It says, Before they head into the promised land, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray again. Lord, as we come to your word right now, I would ask that you would bless both preacher and hearer today for your glory. We do pray for that, that your name would be exalted. Your name would be the strong tower we turn to. And Lord, give us that understanding as we navigate some of these more difficult passages in the back of Judges. It is Your Word. It is breathed out by You. So, Lord, use Your Word today. By the Spirit who wrote Your Word, inspired the men to write Your Word, and the same Spirit that dwells within us, Lord, we have what we need. You have been gracious to us. Guide us to understand what is before us and to live it out uh, for You, our King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen well you can head back to judges 18 that's where we're going to be 18 verse 1 but I want to relay something to you and it's at this point in my preaching career here with Bethany and probably before now that I'm going to probably repeat a story and maybe I've repeated a bunch up to this point and you've been kind to say oh we've never heard that one or whatever it's just gonna I'm just apologizing out there there's stuff that I can't remember Have I shared that before but it's worth sharing um I can still remember one of the first times I was, a, I was a new, I think it was 2009, I was a new associate pastor at a church and I was under another senior pastor there named Paul and um, great time with Paul and one of our first things was to go, I think we went on a retreat to some cabin somewhere and we were sitting at a table kind of in this house for pastors whatever and talking about success in ministry. The question is, what what does success in ministry look like? What does it look like to be successful? I wonder how you would define that term of success. What does it mean for for something to be successful? Or what would it look like to have a a successful church? We'll ask we'll get you in on the conversation. What does that look like? Or what does it look like to be a successful businessman or a successful student or or parent. And at this point, some might go into, well, here's five steps to successful parenting, or six steps to a, to a, you know, change your church around for success, and that type of idea. But I think it's something much more simpler, and I come back to my mentor's advice to me Mike, success is faithfulness. Those were his words, and they just, they're still. I can see the table where we're sitting. Success is faithfulness. I know in a business setting, there's, there's work to be done. But the question is, will the work there be done in faithfulness to God? Or, or in school, those of you who are in school, you've got work to do. There's tests, there's papers. But will you there be faithful to God? Or, or parenting? You might have the you might have wonderfully obedient trained children but are you faithful to God in your parenting or or our church do we count success here as a church or we have got so many programs going on or so many seats are filled or all those sorts of things and I think I'm so thankful for an elder group that has an emphasis not on those things I'm I'm remain thankful but we want to think about success in terms of faithfulness. And before us today in this entire chapter of Judges 18, I think we come to a tribe who, to borrow the phrase, maybe you've heard it before, they, this tribe of Dan won the battle and I believe lost the war. They, they got their inheritance, I think we could call it that, but they lost their identity as a people who was wholly devoted to God to their covenant, keeping God. And we're back in a land where there is no king. Everyone's doing right in their own eyes. This paper is still up here from last week. I won't, I won't put it up again. But the every. This is the look of the land. Everything's just backwards in the land. And that's where we find this uh, account again. It's a land of unfaithfulness. So hopefully you're there. We're in Judges 18 now. Typically, we just read through the whole, you can tell. Some of these last chapters, are going to. we're just going to cover a wide range, 31 verses. So, what we're going to do is I'm just going to work through it, kind of verse, somewhat verse by verse, passage, that sort of thing. Work through it on our own and make some comments along the way. So, let's work through it together. I realize... Some of you have maybe read this before. I try to put in the bulletin where we'll be next week. That's a general forecast, but, uh, so you can know where we're at. But here we come in at 18. Let's just look at verse 1 just right off the bat. In those days there was no king in Israel, and in those days the tribe of the people of Dan was seeking for itself an inheritance to dwell in. For until then no inheritance among the tribes of Israel had fallen to them. This first verse brings us back. You've, you heard that phrase last week in chapter 17, verse 6, that, that phrase of there's no king, there was no king in Israel. Some are looking, I think, towards that king would be a, a Davidic king, kind of looking, we can even look beyond David to the king of kings, but there's no king in the land. And then you've seen, last week we saw everyone was doing right in his own eyes. It's, we're going to see it again in chapter 19, verse 1, and then at the, at the very end of the book. So what we're in is really kind of part two of chapter 17 if we group them together and the house of Micah because he's going to come up again. We're going to find Micah again, no king in Israel, no godly king, and, and to assume what's still going on, everyone's doing right in their own eyes. And this time we're focused in on this tribe of Dan, the tribe of Dan, and they are searching for an inheritance because the text says none had fallen to them. You may not remember, back in Joshua, chapter 19. That's where some of the allotments of the land were that we looked through there when we were in Joshua. And there Dan got an allotment of land, and we read of it. It, it contained Zora and Eshteol, as we're going to see in verse 2. But, but then it's, the text speaks of their lot, that it was lost to them. So Dan gets this lot. It's kind of, I don't think I have a map in here, do I, Caleb, today? Nope, it didn't get in there. That's, that's me. That's not Sound Booth. It's not you guys. Okay. It didn't get in there. Dan is kind of sandwiched in. Um, if you can picture Jerusalem, just kind of west of Jerusalem. We've looked, I think, at Zora and Eshel kind of sandwiched in here. That was their allotment. That was their inheritance, but it was lost to them. And, and we also saw in the, in the beginning of Judges 1 that I think it's the Amorites that kind of pushed them back, and it's really a failure of Dan for their, their inheritance, the, the ones that had a, the inheritance allotted to them. Well, look further then in verse 2. Look, look at what's described because they've got to put a plan together. Verse 2, So the people of Dan sent five able men from the whole number of their tribe, from Zorah and from Eshtaol, to spy out the land and to explore it. And they said to them, Go and explore the land. And they came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah and lodged there. If this passage about spying out the land and f- trying to find, a, I think, a different inheritance, if it sounds familiar, it is, it's, there's that familiar account of, of all the tribes of Israel, the 12 sending out spies in Numbers chapter 13 to look over the promised land. However, their report, when those spies got back from Numbers 13, this is part of their report, however, they said, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Big, big dudes there. But when these five, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, when they report back, they're not really afraid of the people. They're going to they're find a place in Laish, which we're going to find over and over. It's, it's talked about, it's isolated, it's unsuspecting, it's really quite literally, I think, an easy target for the Danites to go to this place. Not much. I think a very little faith is needed for what we're going to find 600 armed men coming to an unsuspecting place, like Laish. But before we get there, we're going to find that in verse 7. Before we get there, so these spies have been sent out, and where do they stop? They stop at Micah's, in our language, his Airbnb, or I think of Micah's truck stop along the way. This is where they end up. And in In their staying there, they hear a familiar voice. Look at verses 3 through 4. When they, that's these five spies, when they were by the house of Micah, they recognized the voice of the young Levite. Remember him from chapter 17? And they turned aside and said to him, who brought you here? What are you doing in this place? What's your business here? And he said to them, this is how Micah dealt with me. He has hired me and I have become his now, how they recognized this voice of the young Levite, I, I'm not sure, you know, it's speculation. Maybe because they lived in Zora and Eshtel, kind of maybe near Bethlehem, maybe they, they knew one another through that somehow. You remember this young Levite was a sojourner? Maybe this wasn't his first time away from home and maybe he had sojourned in, in the area of the Danites before and they recognized that um, another commentator adds this alternatively he says their their recognition may have not been personable it's personal but of his southern accent or of one fulfilling the duties of a Levite. maybe somehow they heard it in his speech or they just heard him performing some duties there what, whatever the case they recognize him and they ask questions I know we haven't read through this whole passage, but there is a barrage of questions in this entire passage. I, I counted them up. I, on first count, I got nine. On the next count, I got, I got 11, and I put one in there. That's kind of a question, but there's not a question mark in your, in your English. But it looks like 10 to 11 questions within this, this section here. And there are three questions for now for, for these spies of this Levite. They're really summed up, summed up as, what's here for you? What are you doing here? And, and here, here they learn about this this Levite, acting as a priest. And and I wonder if the Danites thought, oh, we got a priest right here. This this is a good thing. This is good. This is good news. Here's a live priest. You know, kind of a real priest before them. And so they question him. Then here's here's the question. Although there's not a question mark in verse uh, verse five. Look at verse. Five before us. And they said to him, Here's what they want of this priest now Inquire of God, please, that we may know whether the journey on which we are setting out will succeed. And here's where it is. These guys want to know are we going to be successful in this journey? Will it be successful? The, the word for success, it can also, I think, mean here, will our journey be prosperous? You know, good. But this is interesting because the root of what they're asking here is what we just saw in the beginning of Joshua. Chapter 1, I think it's verse 8. Yeah, there, there the Lord had explained that they could know this. How do you know to have a successful, prosperous way? How should we know that? You, you don't have to ask a priest. They've already got it in their law. They know. Here's, again, Joshua one eight. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. That's I think that's the same word here. And then you will have good success. God has spoken. He's spoken of the prosperous way of living and success. What is it? It's faithfulness to God's Word. Faithfulness to their God. But here the Danites, people of Dan. Here they stand, these five at least for now, they stand before a rogue priest and remember what's in the house. Images, idols. Nonetheless, here's what the priest answers to them in verse 6. And you've read it ahead already. And the priest said to them, Go in peace. The journey on which you go is under the eye of the Lord. It's, it's under the eye of the Lord. The, the ESV Study Bible notes here that this interesting phrase that's used. They say this. See if you see this. The statement, under the eye of the Lord, captures the ambiguity of the priest's response. The future actions of the Danites may have been seen by God but that does not mean that they were approved by God. So, as in all things, their journey is before the Lord. He, they're under His eyes. He sees everything. But whether this is a blessed journey or not, that's another manner. And and so the question for us is really, and for them, I think, will, will it be a Joshua eight successful journey? Is that kind of, and that's left and ambiguous. I, I don't know if the priest is kind of, I don't know, I'll just say this. It's kind of, well, it's under the eye of the Lord. And just like every I don't, I don't know that because he, he goes with them eventually. I'm giving you part of the story, but uh, we don't know. But anyway, kind of an ambiguous answer. So let's get to it. They see the priest, it's going to go in peace. And so they go, verse, look at verse 7. Then the men, th- then the five men departed and came to Laish and saw the people who were there how they lived in security after the manner of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting, lacking nothing that is in the earth and possessing wealth, and how they were far from the Sidonians and had no dealings with anyone. Now, if I had gotten that slide in here, you would find and I would point to the city of Laish. And it's just, If you can remember Israel, it's about as far north as you can go. In fact, it became, when it became the city of Dan, eventually, it became a marker of north to south, from Dan to Beersheba. So it's way, we're way up north, north of the Sea of Galilee, if you remember where that was on the map. And there's some wording here in and around the descriptions of Laish. They're a bit difficult and, and depending on your version that you're reading this morning, you might have seen some different, even talking about a king in there. There's some difficult wording in here. But I think the main, I think the main thrust is along these lines. Laish is an easy target. They, they are ripe for possession. They're out here. Nobody knows about them. They're kind of just out there. And I, I like the ESV word. They're unsuspecting. And so... To the men of Dan, oh, are we blessed or what? What a blessing we have found. And so they come back and report to their people. So all the way, come back down now in your map in your mind. Come all the way back down to the people of Dan in verses 8 through 10 in your text. And when they came to their brothers at Zorah and Eshtaol, their brothers said to them, what do you report? Here's a question again, right? You see him. They said, arise. And let us go up against them, for we have seen the land, and behold, it's very good. And will you do nothing? Do not be slow to go, to enter in and possess the land. As soon as you go, you will come to an unsuspecting people. The land is spacious, for God has given it into your hands, a place where there is no lack of anything that is in the earth. And here these spies, they ask a question of their brothers. Will will you guys do nothing? And they're, and they're saying, don't be slow or don't be sluggish in this, which makes me wonder if that was just part of the problem of Dan all along. Maybe they were just slow to take their inheritance. And you can hear some of the frustration. We have found a place. Don't dilly-dally. Let's go. Don't be slow about it. And Maybe before prior, they had been slow to take what God had given them. Let's continue on. Verses 11 through 13 now, just re- recount them setting out for Laish. So, verse 11, 600 men of the tribe of Dan, armed with weapons of war, set out from Zora and Eshtil and went up and encamped at Kiriath-Jerim in Judah. On this account, that place is called Mahana-Dan to this day. Behold, it is west of Kiriath-Jerim. And they passed on from there to the hill country of Ephraim and came to the house of Micah. This mention again of Mahana, however you say it, Mahana Dan, connects us, remember? Samson. You were remembering in Samson, it connects us there. That's where the Spirit of the Lord began to stir Dan. I didn't remember that either. I'm looking through a commentary. Oh, yeah, that's the place. That's where... And you look back in Judges 13.25. That's where the Spirit of uh, the Lord stirred Samson. It's, it's possible, as one commentator suggests, that some of the people stayed behind in this Zora Eshtail, this Jerusalem kind of west of there, in that area. Maybe some stayed behind and others went on the journey, but we're going to see later on this journey. It's 600 men but we're going to also see little ones with, with them. So we can assume a lot of the tribes, some said uh, one thinks maybe two, 3,000 people went out. But it also brings up just a question again, and, and I'm not taking much time on it at all, but the question of chronology. Chronologically, where does this happen? If this, if this was called Mahanadan, and then we find Samson in Mahanadan, and how does this fit, and where is Samson, and what time? And it's just a bit hard for me to answer again. And... and And I don't think it's necessarily the point of the author, like a lot of ancient texts, to give us the strict chronology of everything. But there's a greater point involved. And again, I I think I mentioned this last week, the clear connection between our Samson of Mahanadan and whatever, and the 1100 pieces of silver. And the connection here is what happened in Samson. One judge, yes, one man who who did right in his own eyes. Last week we saw Micah, a household. This week a tribe doing what is right, essentially, in their own eyes. We're going to see that in a minute here. And so there's some sort of connection. But we've got this tribe on the move. And so come then, as they come, we've seen it. They're in the hill country, they're heading to the house of Micah. Let's look at verse 14. I'm glad there's a frost. I'm hoping. Some of the, are you hoping some of the allergies go down? But uh, anyway, verse 14 is where we're at here. Then the five men who had gone to scout out the country of Laish said to their brothers, okay, they're, they're coming to the house of Micah, right? Here's what they say to their brothers. Hmm, another question. Do you know that in these houses there are an ephod, household gods, a carved image and a middle image? Now therefore consider what you will do. These 600 plus group of Danites have a choice to make. Are they going to take the stuff of Micah's house, the ephod, the images, the idols, or are they going to leave them? And and that's what the five spies propose to them. Consider what you're going to do. And I think if this passage has one of those hinge points, I think it's in this particular area here of what they should do. The the five already know. They've already met the priest. I think they've got an idea of all of what's here. And it's kind of just, can they they influence the rest of the tribe? And we might ask here, this is five guys. Was there not anyone of the 600, at least of the warriors, that would just raise a hand and go, I don't think we should be looking at this. We shouldn't do this. All 600, at least in the text, they're just silent. And so, what can we assume? The whole tribe, hmm, sounds good, I, yeah, great, great idea, let's do it. They did not recall Deuteronomy, the prohibitions about what they were considering. And so their response is laid out, I'm going to read a little bit longer now, verses 15 through 20, as we listen to what they did at this house of Micah. So, they turned aside there, came to the house of the young Levite, At the home of Micah and asked him about his welfare. Now, the 600 men of the Danites, armed with their weapons of war, stood by the entrance of the gate. And the five men who had gone to scout out the land went up and entered and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, while the priest stood by the entrance of the gate with the 600 men armed with weapons of war. And when they went into Micah's house and took the carved image, the ephod, the household gods, and the metal image, you hear the text saying, "You re- make sure you know what they're doing here. Uh, then the priest said to them, when he saw this, like, what are you doing? Verse 19, and they said to him, keep quiet. Put your hand on your mouth and come with us. Be to us a father and a priest. Is it better for you to be a priest to the house of one man or to be priest to a tribe and clan in Israel? And the priest's heart was glad. He took the ephod and the household gods and the carved image and went along with the people. I envision the five here that had found the Levite. They found him well in his house. They invite him to the gate. You know, come meet the rest of the clan. Here's Doug. Here's... Here's Lonnie, here's Andrew of the Danites. Why don't you talk to them? And maybe they get in a conversation while these five just head back in and just nab all the ephod and the gods and whatever else they can get. And they show back up to the gate and the priest is there going, what, he's been duped. And, and all of a sudden they're before him. And so the Levite, he does ask them, what, what are you guys doing? And, and they basically, well, how do they respond? Pipe, close your mouth. I don't know if this was like we're trying to do this in secret it's hard to think of 600 men at a gate secretly i think they're just saying you know be quiet let let us give you an offer they essentially offer to this priest a new gig in our day this levite's church is too small we got a bigger church for you to serve at here's a place we got more money more people whatever you you just and the Levite, like, okay, great idea. It's, it's a no-brainer. Why? Because he's already wayward. Not thinking about the honor and glory of God. He's, he's serving in a household of images. And so he goes with them. So they depart. Verses 21 through 26. Now I'm reading bigger chunks, but now you've got Micah. Remember Micah? What was the first thing we learned about Micah? He stole. He stole the 1,100 pieces. And now the one who stole is being robbed. Robbed of of all these important things to him. And they're heading out. Listen to the account in verse 21. So they turned. This is Danites. They turned and departed, putting the little ones and the livestock and the goods in front of them. Now, that's just so I think they could keep their strongmen at the back in case Micah was coming. Well, he was. Look at verse 22. When they had gone a distance from the home of Micah, the men who were in the houses near Micah's house were called out, and they overtook the people of Dan. And they shouted to the people of Dan, who turned around and said to Micah, what is the matter with you that you come with such a company? And he said, you take my gods that I made and the priest and go away, and what have I left? How then do you ask me, what is the matter with you? And the people of Dan said to him, Do not let your voice be heard among us, lest angry fellows fall upon you, and you lose your life with the lives of your household. Then the people of Dan went their way. And when Micah saw that they were too strong for him, he turned and went back to his home. Allow one commentator here to speak because I think it brings a shot of reality into this situation of what we see here. Here's Micah looking and there go his gods, little g. There goes his, all his stuff. Here's what the commentator says regarding Micah. Enraged but helpless in the presence of such an aggressive attitude, Micah had no alternative but to return home empty-handed. The gods which he had made were completely unable to avert this catastrophe. Isaiah 46, which is one reference of this commentator, says this, Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. None of Micah's little household teraphim could save him. His images would not work, and you can just see the folly of what is happening here. Both Micah and Dan should see this and go, uh, what we just took doesn't work at all. There's nothing here. They're just a bunch of metal. I found this from Tony uh, Ranke. He writes on idols. And he, and he writes on idols during the Reformation. I think it's fitting as we are in October and coming near, yes, Halloween, Reformation Day on October 34th, uh, 31st. Reformation Day celebrating the nailing of the 95 theses of Martin Luther on the wall, October 31st, that Reformation Day. Here's what he says um, regarding this, regarding idols in this Reformation time, 1500, 1600, that sort of thing. He says this, 500 years ago, God ignited a small flame in Wittenberg, Germany, and it grew into the golden blaze of the Protestant Reformation. What started in the hands of Martin Luther's fabled hammer swings the theses right on the wall on the door soon became a battering ram which rung across the culture smashing every false image of god in the cultural worship of the day it got messy yes it smashed images and statues and shrines and icons and relics and this is the part I want to zero in on as we think about what, where we're at. But these were simply outward manifestations of the invisible idols rooted in sinful hearts. Idols sometimes perpetuated under, under the guise of Christianity, he says. The reformers perceived the ancient expression of idol making as simply the expression of an inner idol. And he defines idol here as a falsely placed confidence. What's an idol? A falsely placed confidence. Micah and the Danites are not too distant or far from us. They're placing confidence in what was false and what would bring them no hope. Maybe, maybe for the short term, it looked good to have all these and these idols and the ephod and all this. But in the end, it's going to fail them. May you be on guard about who, who or whom or what you're going to place your confidence in. Is it false or can you truly pay, place your confidence there? For any of us who would place our confidence in anything other than Jesus as our King, we might ask the same question this task. What's the matter with you? We ought to ask that to each one of us who would put confidence in what does not save. God alone saves. Well, Dan, the tribe of Dan, moves on from there, and they do come to Laish. We are nearing the end here. Verse 27 now. Look 27 through 29. Here's kind of the bit of the rest of the story. But the people of Dan took what Micah had made and the priest who belonged to him, and they came to Laish... Once again, to a people quiet and unsuspecting and struck them with the edge of the sword and burned the city with fire. And there was no deliverer because it was far from Sidon and they had no dealings with anyone. It was in the valley that belongs to Beth Rahab. Then they rebuilt the city and lived in it. And they named the city Dan after the name of Dan, their ancestor, who was born to Israel. But the name of the city was Laish at first. It's at this point, as I was preparing this sermon, that I was, I was really hoping to nail Dan here, just to give you some of the back workings. Of st- I, I was really hoping to nail him for taking an innocent city here. There, there's a section, if you look back in Deuteronomy, you don't have to go there, in, in chapter 20, it deals with Israel and her warfare, kind of the, the holy war idea of these nations that they're taking. and. They were to put to total destruction because of the wickedness and sin of those nations. They were to totally destroy them. And and I, I wanted to say here that Dan was coming to Laish, and Laish was not part of that destruction. And so I just wanted to lay on the the guilt here. They, they, they went to a city they shouldn't have gone to. There, there were rules for cities that were outside of the nations of like like the Canaanites, you know, to go and offer peace, and if they don't take peace, then there's war, that sort of thing. But it was, it was first an offer of peace. And I thought, oh, see, they, these Danites, they, they, they messed it up here. Truth be known, I'm, I'm constrained by the text. And that's what we all have to be in whatever our doctrine is. What does the text say? And I was hoping it would say one thing, but then that's just making up things into the text. Look back just... I know it's, it's a bit of an excursion, but just do it, just real quick. Judges um, uh, chapter 1, verse 31. You just see this really quick. This, I came upon this, and then it's just hard to, uh, to at least see this part of what Dan is doing as, as, as wrong right here. I'll get to that, but look at Judges 1, verses 31 and 32. It says, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko, Akiko, I don't know, or the inhabitants of Sidon, or of Alab, or of Axib, or of Helba, or of Afik, or of Rehob. So the Asherites lived among the, you've got it there hopefully, the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not dry them out. From what I can gather here and linking Laish with the Sidonians who actually Sidon was a, I believe an offspring of Canaan. So they're lumped in and and here Rahob and it comes up here uh, in in the valley that belongs to Beth Rahob. There's just too much there to go. I I think this was a city deserving of destruction. Not because just willy-nilly, let's get some land, but because of wickedness. So, as much as I'd rather not, I think here, at least in the taking of it, Dan seems to be justified. But then again, that's where the phrase, they won the battle. Great. You took maybe a city that you were supposed to, and they lost the war. Look at what the text says then as we just continue in Judges 18 to the end. Look at uh, verses um, yeah, 30 and 31 here. Great. They, they got Laish. Here's verse 30. And the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves. And Jonathan, the son of Gershom, son of Moses, and his sons were priests to the tribe of the Danites until the day of the captivity of the land. So they set up Micah's carved image that he made as long as the house of God was at Shiloh. Dale Davis points out here the shock it would be to an Israelite reader when the, the identity of the Levitical priest is finally mentioned here. This is Jonathan, son of Gershom, son of Moses, a, des- a descendant. How he descended? Was, he, was this Jonathan? Was it, we've seen before, sometimes they've got a descendant, but they're further on. It, it would make him quite old at this point, but uh, maybe it's closer. You can mess with the technicalities. He's a descendant of Moses. And so I think to the, what Dale Davis is pointing out, Whoa, Look at they've got even a descendant of Moses here and they're, they're off the path. They're backwards in what they're doing. And he's here amongst the carved images, these abominations of Dan. Indeed, they'd won the battle of Laish and they were building a city of unfaithfulness. The house of God, it's at Shiloh. Didn't matter. They've got their own place. They've got their own house now. It's going to be our way of worship. So we could ask, kind of in conclusion, did their journey, did it succeed? Were they prosperous? Short term, they got the city. All right, got a new inheritance. Got a place, one city. I don't, you know, one place to live, short term. Long term, absolutely not. Some closing thoughts as we think on this tribe and therefore its relation to us. By way of application, question for you is if we kind of start off thinking about success being faithfulness, what kind of journey are you on? What is success going to look like for you? Or when will you have got it? How do you define it? We talked about Joshua one eight. Here's another place. I've, I brought this up uh, I know more than once and probably will continue to. Jesus says this. We even sang about it this morning. He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I believe that's Mark uh, 8.36 if you're writing references. What does it profit a man Think of Dan. Think of your own journey. To gain the whole world. I got it. I got the ephods. I got, the, I got everything I need. All my confidences are right here. What does it profit a man to gain that and forfeit his soul? Success is faithfulness to King Jesus. But lest we stop there and say, okay, be more faithful, it's impossible for us who are born in sin. But praise God, we have a, the faithful one. Hebrews 3.6 reminds us of this faithful one, Jesus Christ. What is he? He's our high priest. Not a, not a wayward one like Jonathan, son of Gershom, the, the wayward Levitical. This is our high priest, one worthy of more glory than Moses himself. And it says here in Hebrews 3.6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house what a house to be in yeah, the house of micah is a crumbling house here's the house of christ we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope where does that confidence false confidence idols things of the world full confidence jesus christ ultimately christ is the faithful one and may we look to this one, this Jesus. Praise Him for taking us who were wayward like everybody else in this story and for calling us to Himself and to taking on that waywardness on the cross. And then, we who have trusted in Christ, we have died to sin. To go on sinning, to say, well, that was great. Now we can just do whatever. We died to sin to live for. Ephesians talks about to do good works now that we're in him, that he's called us to do. May we hear, and I'm thinking of us in this room, if you're visiting, glad you are with us wherever your local church is, but may we be a tribe and a clan and a family, the people of God, here even that we meet locally in Leroy, that we would walk in the grace of our Lord Jesus and and so be conformed to Him by His Word. And that's not just me studying it, is it? I, you, I appreciate your prayers for me to study His Word and that it would go out truthfully and holding to the text. I would ask you, be students of His Word. How, do you, how is your journey? It's found in His Word, which points us to Him and to the Savior. Let's pray. It is by grace we have been saved, Lord, through faith. This is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest any of us should boast. And we are created in Christ Jesus to do those good works. For all here that are a new creation, may you remind us of the confidence we can have in Jesus Christ, our Savior alone. Lord, may we not go out from here trying harder. May we be convicted, Lord, to to walk with You. Thankful, Lord, that we are in You now. You dwell with us and You are working to bring to completion these things within us. But Lord, where You have brought to mind today, Lord, where our success has looked like confidence and prospering in the things of the world that will fade... May we return to you, and may you focus our eyes on you, that our confidence would not be falsely placed in things that are not of you, but be led to your greatness, to your glory, to Jesus Christ, our true King. May that, may he be our worship. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.